This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by Avengers Endgame. Variety calls it toweringly crafted and moving. Chicago Sun-Times declares it's a beautifully filmed epic with universally stellar performances. The cinematic event of the year is now nominated for a Screen Actors Guild Award and three Critics' Choice Awards. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And we're getting into the end of the year here. And the nice thing about it is that during this crunch time, while everybody's regurgitating the same top 10 lists and all these different things that are, that are going on in award season, there's usually a couple more movies that suddenly materialize on a bigger level for us to talk about. And this week was probably... One of the greater examples of that in recent history, just in terms of the scale, because within 12 hours, we got both Cats and Star Wars. So you got Star Wars first, I got Cats first, and then we swapped. So it was was quite, quite the whirlwind. And I think we should go one at a time on these because they really deserve separate placement and we don't want to confuse one for another since I know they have very similar plots and, and all that stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you really get down to Let it, what, what is... You, which one did you like better? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I got more out of Cats and I can tell you why. Because no. it has more. It, I got more out of Cats because of the issues that I had with Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars, it, I, I enjoyed watching aspects of Star Wars simply because... You know, it's it's the the blockbuster element of it, the spectacle element of it is impeccable. There's some thrilling action. There's a Millennium Falcon chase. I think it's one of the best action scenes in any of the Star Wars movies. But I also just felt like there was so much ridiculous, not just fan service, but a lack of creativity with a franchise that is has always been about kind of inventing new ideas within this world, it just felt like it was defaulting to, to things we have seen I'm before. And we don't want to spoil too much, I'm so let's be sure. careful here. I mean, here's, I, I have to say that A.O. Scott's review in the New York Times really nailed the the way to look at this, I think, which is to you know, as as much as we all love Star Wars and and it's part of of our DNA, and we all grew up with it, and and we all have different opinions about the different movies. And I happen to like the Ryan Johnson. I happen to think that the Last Jedi did have the creativity and the surprises and the unpredictability and the inventiveness that you're saying is lacking. And I agree with you in in this one, but but. Let's just be honest. None of these movies were ever A plus movies in the first I, place. And I, I reviewed all of them. I didn't give any of them A plus, except if I was reviewing A New Hope in 1977, it might have been an A minus because I felt like what the original movies were doing was channeling aspects of of great cinema from swashbucklers to samurai movies and all that kind of stuff into the space opera context and saying real things about the world ultimately which is the key to, to why they had such striking long-term pop culture resonance but it was also movies. the first of this whole series of of worlds yeah, that, it created that allowed it. Yeah. fans to to be and he held on to the rights and he held on to the licensing and he just he was the inventor of the world we live in today the marvel world that we live in today um where you don't just throw out one original movie and take your chances and you have this is why bob Iger spent however many billion dollars on Lucasfilm in the first place to, to have the, the IP to, to play with. It's going to be really interesting. Of course, there's a lot of speculation about what Kathleen Kennedy, uh, the, the much maligned um, 
head of Lucasfilm is going to do now. And, and we all like to say that we, oh, I had a, I was at a party the other night for 1917 um, that Spielberg uh, was hosting for Sam Mendes. And, and um, so that's one of the late breaking movies too, that's still on the, on the circuit. Um, and, and I, and one of the conversations we had was about how, how <laughs> Kennedy and her um, lieutenant, her writing czar, Lawrence Kasdan, I sort of asked around for who is the cool, who are the cool kids that they should hire for, for uh, the movies that, that they had. And they did hire Lord and Miller. And then it was like hiring a band, you know, to play at your wedding and then realizing you didn't like the music and then firing them. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's what's so fascinating about, I mean, I honestly, I think we know now when you look at solo that they probably would have done something cool with that. And the idea of bringing in original talent, not just, good directors or reliable, you know, workman-like types, but people who have their own kind of creative process to play in that world are going to yield more interesting results. And I think Ryan Johnson did that with Last Jedi on that big scale. And he and, is going to do more. He's going yeah, to hopefully. have, uh, hopefully, I, ho- I hope so, because the because you and I are not alone in perceiving that there's, you know, you there's the Jedi world and then there's the fan world. Um, that doesn't like Jedi, and and this movie is trying to bridge those worlds. That's what J.J. Abrams, the great um, mediator, really. That's why he isn't taking chances. That's why he isn't um, frightening anyone. He's but it's he's, almost like there's a difference between it's taking food. But there's a, it is comfort food. It's like the worst. It's like it's like the burnt fries of comfort. But I enjoyed food. it too. I have to admit that as well, I, I enjoyed aspects, there, I enjoyed it, and I especially enjoyed. I admit, and I want to give Adam Driver incredible points for really carrying uh, that Kylo Ren character. That's the part that I was most responsive to. Well, I um, think both him and Daisy Ridley, I mean, we haven't seen Daisy Ridley's, I think, the her, the scale of her performances, the way that we have Adam Driver, and there, there's something to be said about the nature of their bond, which, again, going back to, to The Last Jedi, it really kind of was built into the DNA of that movie, how they started to develop, you know, this, this sense of, you know, can the, the, the traditional evil character also be somebody who has some sort of complicated relationship to the traditional good person? And the way that that comes to fruition in this movie is well crafted. That's the most interesting part of the movie. And you're right. It comes right out of, of the Ryan Johnson movie. And also the, the thing he created, which was cutting back and forth between the two spaces and having a, objects. Yeah go back and forth. That's that a brilliant really use of cool. th- that's film language. It's like something you can only do right. in the medium. That's, that's right. what's so cool about it. And it's like, I don't know what fans may have issues with this or that kind of a thing, but just in terms of how you experience the story, that's very innovative. The first 10 minutes of this movie stuff happens plot wise. And then, you know, it ties into another reveal later on, which I won't spoil, but I think that it's stuff like that, that I found kind of baffling because it, it felt like, well, you know who these people are. So we're just going to play off of your knowledge of that and give you some surprises. Whereas the, the Ray Kylo Ren relationship was something that had to be earned through the art of telling these stories over the last couple of years. And that's what was so satisfying about it. So it is, I, I, I would guess that the, the, the conversation at Lucasfilms when people get really frank is, 
you know, this $6 billion acquisition over the past decade has clearly yielded mixed results in terms of figuring out exactly what to do with the, you these properties. You can't bleep all the fans all the time. And that is the real answer because what's going to happen now? I predicted that there would be mixed reviews and the reviews are not just mixed. They're really negative, actually. But I also predict that it's going to have an enormous opening. Our box office guy predicts it. And it's, and it's obviously. going to be, and the fans are going to actually be very high on it. So it's, it's a, there will be some who don't like it too. You cannot win with this. So they're better off going off into new terrain, it seems to me. Cut, you know, let this go put this away and move on. Yeah, well we don't know what this the the Ryan Johnson Star Wars movies are. We don't know what the Disney Plus series are going to feel like and how well, those are going to play. The at least is a huge hit. That's yeah, that one has started. John yeah. Favreau really doing a good job of creating something that's elemental, very Star Trek like, moving around from location to location with the same characters. Brilliant Baby Yoda. And, and the, um, but the, uh, uh, when I say elemental, I mean that he kept it simple in this very, very smart way that is hard to do. And well, that's he's why keeping, it's so successful. Yeah. He's keeping it simple while also the, playing in a world where everything you do has to be canon. And the, what they do right. in terms of working with the Lucasfilm story group is really crucial here because. 20 some odd years ago when the term transmedia was being tossed around in academia, it, it was really hard for people to understand, you know, what kind of potential was there. I mean, the, when the Matrix movies came out, I'm not saying that the second and third one were good, but what they, what they were trying to do there was say, you know, if you just watch the movie, you're not getting the whole story. But if you play the video game and you watch those Animatrix animated things and all that kind of stuff, you get a more narratively fulfilling experience in every element there. And I think what Star Wars could be, because it's such a sprawling universe, is something that keeps filling in those little details at different moments in its timeline in a way that doesn't have to feel imitative, because every time they add something, it deepens what came before and also opens up new possibilities for the future. So I'm sure on on some storytelling level, the conversations they're having are, is fa- are fascinating, but then the commercial considerations are, are tricky, because not everybody wants to go that deep. But they trusted Favreau and they trusted Johnson and they delivered. And I think I'd like to see them trust more writer, director, auteurs who can really take charge and not just try to keep the fans happy. I'm not putting J.J. Abrams down here. I actually get what he had to do. And, and, and to the extent that that he had to, he delivered. Um, it's just that we're, we all want more. But there's, I mean, setting aside the complaints about fan servicey stuff, I thought there was a lot of clunky stuff in this movie too. Like there's just, there were just a lot of moments. I will say where- that it looked unfinished, especially, uh, what do you think? I mean, some of those sequences in the battles um, at the end where Space people horses. are running around. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what were they? And there were some really baffling kills, you know, really brutal kills in there. And people running around on tops of ships with, with not so much going on, if you know what I mean. It was cheesy well, extras. It's a, it's a variation of a problem Marvel used to have and I think worked beyond, which is where the climax has always ended up being something fiery falling from the sky and everybody just running around and right. doing that. That was the end of the Avengers, although it was a pretty good example of how to that do that. one was done well, well I would but argue. But it, it, it kind of elevated that, that trope and then you started to see it a lot and clearly it's something – Something went here. wrong here. <laughs> yeah. So there, it gets they really, ran out really of time, busy. Money or, 
or uh, pixels somewhere. No, and I also got serious pixel overload in the last half where my eyes started to blear out. You know, I was just like, oh my God, there's too much. Inf- it's just a thing. There's too much information coming at you at once. Yeah, and, and I also felt like once you get to the, um, to the end of the, the movie, it's like they've introduced so many different things leading up to it. It's like two hours and 20 something minutes. Right. And then like, there was there too much. There's like, oh, so yeah. And the, like the final moments with all these important characters, plus some side characters and stuff. I'm like looking at my watch. I'm like, you have 10 minutes to go and you're, you're still, you know, lingering on that random subplot. Again, I don't want to, I don't want to do too many spoilers either, but there's some cameo people showing up and ghosts of people past and, and people speaking yeah. to people from across, you know, time and space, people who are dead who are not dead, people who are dead, but can still communicate a lot. They, they did that too many times. Yeah. And, and I think what will be, Fascinating to see is not, I mean, obviously it'll make money and some fans will be down with it and you can take young, young teenage types or, or whatever prepubescent. It's, it works on, I, I suppose, as a big movie for what it needs to accomplish. But over time, I'll be curious to see how people parse the many different narrative ingredients they're introducing here because obviously there's potential for spinoffs or whatever from some of the characters that they've set up here. And again, we can't spoil stuff, but it does feel like there are many different possibilities where maybe in the writer's room or something, they were like, hey, if we toss this in here, then we have that available. That could be a series at some point, right? Well, let and me it's ask just- you a question. Of course, I'm, I'm sure those are the conversations that are going on, but they're, off, they're supposedly not going to be in a hurry uh, this time. Um, and if I were Kathleen Kennedy, and I'm, a lot of people are speculating about this, you know, the, 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 if this goes out and does as much business as I think it will do, despite the critics, um, she may she may hang up her hat and say enough already. Let's let's let somebody else do this. Um, well, it's almost like it's like being the head of a big film festival or something where it's like you're you're in charge of doing something for a, for a while. But eventually it's probably a good idea to bring somebody else on board to change things up and see what what the results are. You know, it's not like a diss necessarily so much as that, you know, one person leading something for a while tends to homogenize the approach. And clearly this is something that needs to keep evolving. I mean, you have so many different people with different Star Wars access points. I mean, my students at NYU, you know, for them, I don't know what it's like for your daughter, but for my students, Star Wars starts with those prequels. You know, that's just the nature of the relationship to the narrative and how they were released. And that's fundamentally different from seeing it through the lens of 1977. And now, I guess, you know, in the next five, six years, you have young adults who came up with this trilogy being their first introduction or or Mandalorian and all that stuff. That's a totally different way of seeing what they're doing. Mandalorian is massive and and there was a story today uh yesterday about how the um disney plus uh, subscribers were so massive uh, and mandalorian is very much driving that that uh it, it it netflix took a hit in subscribers so the the wars are the other wars are on you know the, yeah. the streaming wars yeah. Um, so let's talk about let's talk about uh, cats. Another another overwhelming pixel uh, so information I, experience. I'm a musical fan. I do love musicals, and I can be kind of harsh on modern mo- musicals. I admit this. I hated The Greatest Showman. I didn't understand how that could be. <laughs> I really didn't understand how that could be a hit. It was a complete 
mystery to me. Um, my daughter loved it. Speaking of which, you know, she absolutely adored it. So, so that's what Universal is hoping for here. But I'm going to compare this to Gemini Man in a certain way, which is that um, I, I wrote about how the Irishman. People, some people have trouble with the with the the VFX on the faces in Irishman, although I think it's quite remarkable what they did, and the storytelling trumps the whatever weirdness you have to get past. But in this case, there's a group of very talented actors who um, cannot, uh, many of them cannot survive the weirdness of, of the visual effects that, that are imposed upon them. And, and I, I, I keep wishing that I could get, I was so distracted and so unhappy and so uh, looking at people's crotches and their <laughs> moving ears and Idris Elba's body. And, you know, yes. I wanted, I wanted to be able to pay attention to these. Some of these are very gifted performers. I, I love that though. I, I, I think it's a, I did not think it was a, a successful movie, but I, I, I thought it was a, a fascinating failure and which is what I was sort of trying to explain earlier. I mean, everything you're saying on some level, I agree with, I think that the perform the, the disconnect is because on some level, the doing a close up, you know, when you add CGI and stuff is not doing the CGI or the actor any favors. This is a ridiculous play in the first place. You know, it's like, I was never barely, a fan of it. That I was mean, part of what I was going to say. I didn't grow up with this or anything. Well, there, in the play, there's no real narrative, right? You know, it's no. like this kind it's of a series it's almost, of skits. It's like, but very like Cirque du Soleil. It's sort of, it's yeah. sort of like a, a vaudeville routine. Yeah. And it's using T.S. Eliot po- poets and poems to, to kind of sort of tell this like really, weird uh, kind of semi-gothic kind of story of cats trying to be reborn. But the thing about this movie is that it's doing all of that in a way that feels like it's, it's using 2019 language to, t- to do the exact same thing. And, and that, that disconnect is just fascinating to watch and why it doesn't work. is something that I, I was constantly drawn into because I also really enjoyed the, the kind of the, the insanity of it, the sheer like, light and color weirdness of it with ca- some catchy songs and some actors who I think pr- their performances came through better than others. Through. That's the yeah, point. Idris is great. Idris, I, I thought was really great. He was. I, no, I, he was. I wasn't. I'll tell you, I thought what was cool about Idris Elba was that he gets to play this almost like Freddy Krueger esque villain in a way we haven't really seen. Him be there that wasn't nasty. enough of him. There wasn't well, enough got, of him. And here's he's got my one biggest good song. problem. He's got one good song. Jennifer Hudson, right? She does memory the the classic song that everybody you know loves and and I'm know, sure you could sing it for us here. I I, I, I would hate to impose that on you, um, but she um, she's she's leaning up against a lamp post and she's she's a, a bag lady. She's she's homeless. She's she, she's a bag cat kitty whatever, and and her she's got perfectly lacquered long manicured fingernails. Now, I mentioned that to a friend of mine who's a costume designer, and she's like, Anne, you know, this is a musical. And I'm like, no, it's a movie. You can do things in theater. And you. And I was looking at, at Betty Buckley singing this song, and it's the great tearjerker number. And it worked for me. I was actually crying in spite of the, the fingernails. I don't you know, can't fingernails have a homeless lady with long green fingernails. Well, you can because she's a weird cat lady. It's fine. That didn't. That kind no. of stuff didn't bother me as much. I mean, look, they look they look freaky. But I do think on some level, once you you adjust that, okay, it doesn't totally work. The movie does keep moving from one thing to another, and some of the set pieces I think are really 
quite striking. I, I and look what Ian McKellen does in his song is the theater cat. He he's great. He, he's like raining down lightning and talking about how theater isn't what it used to and be. Judy I mean, come Dench on. was great, and James Corden was great. I thought, and Rebel actually, Wilson. Taylor Swift was very good. Yeah, she's um, barely in it, but it, well, she has one number. I mean, each yeah, of them really number. has one number, basically. Um, yeah, and then they have that that um. That song with the magician cat towards the end, which I, I thought that, was very actually. sweet. That yeah. was one of the more Okay, so the more we kind of work through no, it, there, it's like there's stuff. It's two hours and 20 minutes or whatever it is. And 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 we're talking about maybe 15 good minutes. Seriously, Eric. And, I, and then they took them out onto the... Then you suddenly you have a cat who's a tap dancer on the rails. Yeah, well, that's, that's part of the show. I mean, all this, you know, this, these huge vistas that could come out of something as fake as the Sherlock Holmes movies. But that this was, is very, I mean, this is very Richie, you know, Guy Richie. Yeah. But Guy Richie would, would try to put some stupid plot into it. And the plot that does show up in this movie is pretty stupid, but at that point it hasn't even really started. It's like really in the last act, but that sequence that you're talking about, I actually liked because one of the things that, doesn't work a lot of times in the movies the way they play with scale. Awful. Like sometimes they're really, but in that sequence, they're dancing along train tracks with the backdrop of the London skyline and they fake, look really fake, small. Fake. When you but it doesn't matter. It, it looks PG, beautiful. All fake and nothing is real. You have to convince people that you belong in the world and that the world has coherence and that it makes sense. And this was a world that was totally incoherent and didn't make any sense. And all I, the I, different decisions that Tom Hooper made about the scale, about the costumes, about the hair, about the makeup, about the visual effects, all went against making this. But movie I think that, that was, I, th- I, I, I agree that there is a lot of dissonance to it. But I also think that many sequences on their own are quite striking. And when I was appreciating those sequences, I was not thinking about how unrealistic they were or something to that effect. So I do find that there is a lot to enjoy about the, the viewing experience of cats in spite of how dissonant it is, right. in so spite of how many miscalculations. Say. Here's what I will say, Eric, is, and that is somebody on Twitter, because there was a fun, there really was a very fun, enjoyable Twitter conversation about this, especially from the Brits. They really went to town. But um, I will say that that I wouldn't compare this to Xanadu or, or that the, the, there is a certain piling on that's been going on. This movie is created uh, in that weird um, place where art is trying to merge with commerce and it's going to fail. It's going to be a disaster, a very expensive one. But I do understand that very talented people try very hard well, you to know what make I think it was, a beautiful thing. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about how Amblin was going to do an animated version of this in the 90s. That. And well, I think it's interesting because what they've done is they've taken the aesthetic of the stage play. And that was a fundamental miscalculation. I was thinking that doing this thing with performances would actually be compelling and look good based on the technology at their disposal, as opposed to actually making a musical with singing and dancing cats, which would have been probably adorable. And, and like you say, the, the, it would be more credible on its own terms. Absolutely. Because here you, I'm sorry, Eric, but you look, they have, they have actual feet and then they have tap dancing shoes, right? That's fine. And then they whatever. have real that hands. That doesn't bother me. I and don't then care they about have that. fingered. And then they have, you know, some of them have have you know female crotches, and some of them have no crotch. I mean, it's just you. It's so 
distracting. I was yeah, never but, transported unless you know the what? actor was so powerful that they broke through all of that. But I, I kind of felt like there was almost like this steampunk thing going on where it's like kind of the, feels like the past, but also could be like the post-apocalyptic future because there's no people around. So maybe they're like mutant cats or something. Who knows? You can make up your own backstory. If they had it's, figured it's, that out, if they had come up with something like, because honestly, I, I remember when they were pitching this movie and, and, and selling it, they were talking about how all these great dancers were in unitards, you know, performing in this space and everything. There's a part of like me that would rather see that. I would rather see them in makeup and hair and and sets doing that. And I might, I think it might have worked. Well, it's well, the VFX that throw me completely for a tizzy. Well, it's it's look. I mean, it's the ten year anniversary of Avatar, right? And there was this. I think prior to that movie, the sense was that what you're saying was right, and we seem to be living in this era of special effects where the sense is that they are preferable because of things you can get away with. But if you really drill down into what the effects can do now, some expensive CGI can do things better than others. And this is an example of, of when CGI actually fails you. Whereas well, Chewbacca ran out of time. He yeah, also, but I mean, look at uh, Chewbacca Chewbacca's in Star great. Wars. Yep. He's still just a guy in a suit. You right. know, I was thinking about it because I saw Star Wars like well, they the can morning make after. Fixes. Said, they can make fixes yeah. with the with the face and they can do all sorts of things. There's, there are many ways, forgive the expression, to skin a cat. Oh, boy. Well, you know, the thing is, this movie really opens itself up to cliches because they say a bunch of them in the movie, like, cat got your tongue and stuff. Anytime, like, the cat, there's spoken dialogue in this movie, I was just like, why? Stop talking and start singing and dancing around and prancing and doing your thing. I just think he was the wrong guy. I I, I never thought I would live to see the day that I agreed with people on Twitter who wished that this had been directed by Baz Luhrmann. (laughs) I would have said, I mean, I thought a bit about Luhrmann. And he would have been outrageous. I don't care. That's fine. Be bold. I was thinking about what Tim Burton did with Sweeney Todd and how satisfying that was. That was good. I I mean, you know, Tim Burton could not, he's had uh, some rough patches lately, but. I think that would. I was thinking about that's really what the material is because it's kooky, it's weird, it's it's it it makes you uncomfortable and it's kind of dark and invented and and like I was saying, there is a fantasy component that could have been filled in more. But this is what I wrote about before that Tom Hooper was was lured or was able to sell Universal and Working Title and everybody on the idea that that he could break through with the with the help of visual effects into some other arena and and with this popular thing. And of course, they were looking at Mamma Mia and the global reaction to that and so forth. Um, even Les Mis did very well. So they thought they could do it again. And he sold them on that and had a toolkit to play with. And he was wrong. Well, I'll be curious to see how it does, as you say. I mean, if if it really flops and the guy's in director's jail for a bit, it'll have to figure out. Oh, he out. won't be in director's jail. He just, I mean, he's actually a gifted director. I'm not sure he's a gifted musical director, though. Yeah, Les Mis, well, but the thing about Les Mis was that I didn't love that movie. But, I mean, he got Anne Hathaway and Oscar on the basis of one long take song. I mean, he does play, he, he did some stuff cinematically in that movie that was interesting. And I think he does here too. It's just that the technology fails him and other aspects of it were not thought through well enough. It's I think he a, needed more time. I think this is one of the great examples. I'm not sure he could have made it work in the end anyway, but it feels like, I mean, I've never heard, um, I have never heard such stories of brinksmanship uh, in terms of how late he had to hand this thing in, dripping, dripping wet. 
It, it was it, pretty dire. It did feel like, and he said at the New York premiere at Alice Tully Hall that he had finished it that morning or That's something insane. like that. So it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, and, this, but, you know. and it doesn't give the studio time to make spots and do all the things that they right. need to do. And they couldn't you know? get their, they barely were, got, got their Golden Globe nomination for that Taylor Swift song. They didn't see the film. Okay. They didn't even have the ability. They, they, there was a screening of the movie for some of the members, but they didn't have enough of them in order to, to vote for that. So they sent the song out. So they didn't yeah. even see how the, they saw the, the song. That was it. That's so ridiculous. I mean, of all things in that movie. And that too, didn't make like, the shortlist uh, at yeah. the Academy. But uh, let, let's just suggest that Oscars are not in the cards for cats. Yeah, I would think and not. And I would say a few tech nods are really all you're going to see for Star Wars also. Yeah, it doesn't really feel like it's got much else going for it in that respect. I think that maybe they just need to make a Star Wars musical. And then <laughs> there's just no more open questions about either <laughs> state, state of the musicals or the state of Star Wars. You just put them together. I mean, come on, like the ghost of Han Solo's, you know, tap dancing across the Millennium Falcon or something. I mean, it would just be. Well, that's I the other thing. It. I mean, at this point, we can really say goodbye. I'm so sorry to say to Carrie Fisher for real. And and then, you know, the, the, the these people are going to go. I mean, they brought in. Um, oh, listen to me. Uh, Billy D. Williams. You know, I mean, it, it just felt like they were stretching. Indeed. And hopefully whoever's stretching next will be I don't want them to face. start fresh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, we'll you know, see Luke, what happens. Luke Skywalker, all, all of them were in, in some way brought, brought to bear. So yeah, they've got their 40 year plus legacies. So next week we'll both be on vacation, but we're going to record a very special episode and uh, we'll be able to check in and look ahead to the next year. But I hope you enjoy your time off and you too, Eric. Bye.